0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us in the service this morning as we uh, look at your word in 1 Peter chapter 4 and see the the, the point that that Peter is trying to make to the Christians that are suffering persecution and going through all kinds of adversity today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church to be able to face adversity with your strength and understand that you are always with us, that your grace is always there. And Lord, if there is someone today that is struggling with this concept, or even struggling with their salvation, not sure if they're saved today. God, I pray that today might be the day that they come to trust you as their Savior. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've been doing in our church, and what you will do in the future. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. How many have ever gone through adversity? Anybody ever gone through adversity? I think all of us have at one point in our life. Uh, I face adversity, it seems like, sometimes on a daily basis. Uh, This week I went through some adversity, some of you guys have known about it, some of you guys may not have known about it, I just want to share a little bit about what I went through. I went camping in Texas, (laughs) 95 degrees! That's adversity, friends, and especially adversity when you don't prepare for it adequately. You know, I've, I've camped in Colorado where it might be hot in the day, but it's very cool and comfortable at night. You don't need air conditioning units, you don't need a lot of fans. I was not adequately prepared, but fortunately, PNP Carpet Care and Solutions was there for all of my carpet, construction, and camping needs. It's a great tagline there, Justin. But they were there with extra fans to help, and then they had some uh, air-conditioned units as well that we were able to use during the day, so it helped make things a little bit more comfortable. But kind of joking, all joking aside, adversity happens in life, does it not? And all of us go through it. Maybe right now, we're even going through adversity. And I I would dare say that many people in this room are probably going through adversity. We've been talking about thriving in our Christian life this year, specifically. And I preached a message in January about the difference of thriving and surviving. And I feel like so many times in our Christian life, instead of truly thriving thriving, or prospering or flourishing, being who God wants us to be, we're simply surviving. And sometimes when adversity hits, it's like we're just trying to survive the adversity trying to survive the hardships that are going through in our lives. And the, the truth is, no one is exempt from adversity. No one is immune from pain and suffering. I've heard it said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Most of the time, we don't respond very well. At least, I don't respond very well to adversity in my life. Warren Wiersbe, great uh, Bible orator, he once said stated that attitude directly determines our altitude. Adversity and trials are common for the saved and the unsaved. Again, whether you're saved today, whether you're not saved, you will go through trials. You will have suffering. You will have problems in your life. But adversity and trials can be a result of sin, yes, but sometimes it's just the result of God testing us. God trying to mature us, to grow our faith. And I've heard it said before, I've used it many times here, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Our faith must be tested in order to grow us, to mature us, to be who God wants us to be. And I believe it in my life because I've seen it, that many times I have grown the most through adversity. I wish I could grow through the success, to the happiness of life, but it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always happen that when everything is going good, we learn what we need to learn. It's when things aren't going as good as what it needs to be that we tend to, we tend to or we should rely on our Savior. When our adversity comes, I want you to get this and understand this point. When adversity comes, we are surrounded with a great opportunity to express our faith whether we want to or not. Yeah. And again, I've faced all kinds of adversity in my life, and I'll use this illustration yet again. Uh, when we w- when we lost our son logan seven years ago that was a great adversity a great trial a great suffering in my wife and i's life and whether we wanted to or not it was a perfect opportunity for us to express our faith it would have been a great opportunity for us to express our faith in a negative way as happens many times or we could have expressed our faith in a positive way and we chose in that situation now not all situations of our life that we chose to express our faith in a positive way But in that situation, in that moment, we chose to express our faith in a positive way. And through it, God did something in our lives. And he did something in the lives of others that were around us during that time. And I'm thankful for it. But most people, and I've seen it in my own life as well, when you go through adversity, you don't want to express your faith in a positive way. You want the adversity. You want the trials. You want the pain. You want the suffering to all be taken care of, to be be rid of in your life. Adversity in our lives is kind of like a rock that is thrown into a still pond. You ever thrown a rock into a pond? What happens? It creates a ripple effect, right? And sometimes that ripple effect, if the pond is small enough, will affect the whole pond. It will affect everything around it. And it's something I want us to look at this morning very briefly in 1 Peter chapter 4 as Peter is addressing the Christians here. Because again, we're trying to understand what it means to thrive in our Christian life. And the first thing we need to take note of is this, expect adversity. Expect adversity. Again, it would be easy to to learn life's lessons through success or happiness, but often the best teacher is suffering. It's nice to have good health and money in the bank and happy days, but we don't often learn much from them. It's during the school of hard knocks that we learn the most of what God wants to teach us. But I want you to notice this first word in this verse, beloved, beloved or beloved. Peter is addressing the Christians as a pastor. He's trying to show his heart that, hey, I love you. I care for you. I understand you're going through trials and suffering and persecution, but I've gone through them as well. And I want you to understand also that your heavenly father loves you. We talked a little bit about the love of God on Wednesday night, and I am so overwhelmed by the love of God because I don't deserve his love. You don't deserve his love, yet he offers us his love anyway. But he he starts out, beloved, and then notice what he says next. Think it not strange. That word strange in verse number 12 can be defined as this, to surprise or astonish by the strangeness and novelty of a thing. So Peter is telling us to not be surprised when adversity strikes, to not be surprised when trials come. You know, so many times when a trial comes in my life, you know what, the first thing I respond is, I can't believe this is happening to me. You ever respond that way? I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Why is this trial happening? Why is this hardship coming into my life? But Peter is saying, think it not strange. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when trials come, when adversity comes, because they are going to come. Now, I want you to understand the setting of what's going on here. During Peter's ministry here at this time, there was a very evil emperor named Nero. How many have ever heard of Nero? Nero. You know, I was going to uh, had some things printed off and I left them in the printer this morning. Talked a little bit about his life, but uh, Nero was a very wicked wicked individual and he was against the Christians and and during this time that Peter was writing this letter to the Christians that were under attack and persecution, there were a lot of fires being started. Nero was the one that was instrumental in those fires being started because he liked seeing things burn. He was just deluded, had a messed up mind, but instead of putting the blame on himself and those that were under him, He put the blame on the Christians. It was the Christians' fault, even though it wasn't the Christians' fault. They were just being attacked, persecuted for something they didn't do. You ever been attacked and persecuted for something you didn't do? That's the setting of what was going on here. So when we read this verse, beloved, think it not strange, concerning the fiery trial. He's literally talking about a fiery trial that is going on. The trials of of Nero and others that are accusing the Christians of doing something they didn't do. And there's been many times in my life, especially as a pastor, that I've been accused of something I didn't do. I've been accused of something I didn't say. I've had my words taken out of context. It happens to all of us. So Peter and the Christians are going through a literal fiery trial, but there are many of us today that are going through a figurative fiery trial. There are things in our lives that we don't understand. Fiery trials can be defined this way. In reference to the refiner's fire. You see, when a metal is refined, it is purified by putting it to the heat. So to burn off the dirt, the dross, the impurities, and leave behind the pure metal. So the Lord allows adversities in our lives in order to purge out the impurities, to get rid of the things that don't need to be in our lives. In other words, this is God's means of maturing and growing our faith and walk with him. And this is key. Trials aren't there just to refine you. They're also there to test the authenticity of your faith. To see if your faith is genuine. Because again, I look back at my own life, and yes, there's individuals, or there's instances where my faith was tested and tried and I came out stronger, but there's also many times where my faith was tested and tried and I came out weaker because I didn't rely on God. And I've seen it happen to too many Christians I've seen it happen to too many people that go to church when something difficult happens in their lives instead of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, and as we've been preaching this whole year, that realizing that Jesus Christ is our sufficiency for all things, that it's all about Him, that it's always, always been about Him. Instead of putting everything, all of our trust, all of our reliance, all of everything into Him, we put it into ourselves, and we see where that gets us. Nowhere. It leaves us more devastated, more depressed, more disgusted than ever before. And I've seen many individuals, many Christians that have done this. When they go through adversity, <laughs> instead of that, that trial, that fiery trial, trying to purify them and, and get rid of the impurities in their life, they allow it to just, that heat, just melt them <laughs> into nothing. But trials aren't just to refine us, they're also to test the authenticity of our faith. How many loved when you went to school having pop quizzes, Anybody? Probably not, right? Oh, we have one person, two people, David. I can see that with David. Yeah, he's just that he's that character. He's that individual. Let's just go on from there. But most of us don't like pop quizzes. Why? One, because we're not ready, right? We're not ready for the pop quiz, but I've learned with pop quizzes, it's not just to attack us and I want you to fail. It's actually to try to strengthen us, to make us sharper to be aware that a pop quiz could happen any so we need to know the material. In a sense, pop quizzes happen in our life all the time, do they not? With tests and trials and adversity. And it's not a way of God beating us down, it's God trying to build us up. But sometimes we don't look at it as that. You see, if we're going to thrive in our Christian life, we need to understand that we have to get out of survival mode. We can't thrive if we don't understand that adversity is there to mature us and not to defeat us. You see, adversity, I think I have this in your notes this morning, is not an elective. It's a prerequisite to becoming a fully committed disciple. It's not an elective. It's not something you can just choose to have. It's something you need. It's a prerequisite. And God desires to use times of testing in our lives to mature us, but get this, He will not build our character without our cooperation. He will not build our character without our cooperation. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. A Christian who gives up when the heat comes in their life will never reach the full potential that God has in store for them. When we know and understand the purpose for adversity, it helps us know how to persevere. And then we learn to thrive Spiritual maturity comes when we surrender to our will and realize that our weakness is really an opportunity for Christ to show himself strong in our lives. Look at Job's life. Job went through all kinds of trials, all kinds of fiery trials. Job lost more in one day than most people will ever lose in a lifetime. Yet I love studying the book of Job, and I love Job chapter 23, verse 10, where it says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, Job realized this. It's in the hottest furnace where the greatest treasures come forth and are produced. Trials are there to grow us, to mature us. So the first thing Peter is addressing to this church and these believers is expect adversity. The second thing, as we continue on, verse 13, but rejoice. Rejoice through adversity. Now, that sounds strange. How can you rejoice when the trials come? How can you rejoice when the suffering comes? How can you rejoice when people attack you? Because you have to know what's going to come after it. Yeah. Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Has not Christ suffered on our behalf? Yes, he suffered. So rejoice, first of all, knowing that you're suffering for the name of Christ for the sake of Christ. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier are ye. If, if people have accused you and attacked you, it's OK. for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. on their part is evil spoken of, of you, of, but on your part. He is glorified. You see, it's all about bringing honor and glory to our Savior Jesus Christ. Joy comes in experiencing, not just in theory. I don't have that in your notes, but it's something good to write down. Joy comes in experiencing, not just in theory. I think of the, the, uh, the sports stars that have, that have played um, in a Super Bowl or you know a football and they, and they won the Super Bowl. They experienced the joy of winning it all. Now, many of them have seen others' success, right? They've watched it. Maybe they've been to, to a game and, and they've seen it. So in theory, they've, they've seen the joy that can happen but there's a difference in seeing joy in others and experiencing joy, right? There's a huge difference. And Peter is trying to tell us that we're supposed to rejoice through the adversity. And this is important. Peter is not saying to rejoice in the pain. He's not saying, you know what, when the pain comes, rejoice. Thank the Lord, I have headaches every day. It's not what he's saying. He's telling us to rejoice in what the pain will accomplish in our lives and what suffering us now and there are two specific reasons that we should rejoice first reason is this because we experience a deeper intimacy with Christ i think of what paul said in philippians his desire in his life was that i may know him that I may know who Jesus is. And in order to sometimes know who someone is, you have to go through what they've gone through. When we go through suffering and pain, adversity, we experience a deeper intimacy with Christ because as it says, we are partakers of Christ's suffering, that his glory shall be revealed. Too many Christians seem to base their responses to pain and suffering solely upon their emotions and feelings, and that's a dangerous thing. During the midst of intense pain, no one feels like rejoicing. When I was in the hospital in May with the meningitis that I contracted somehow, I wasn't rejoicing. (laughs) I wasn't thinking, praise God for this. I'm so thankful I can't function at all. That's not what I was thinking. But as I got a little bit better, I started thinking, you know what? God's put me in here for a reason. So I need to trust Him. And as I started trusting Him, my intimacy, my relationship with Him grew. You see, if we have the right attitude and right perspective when we go through trials, it's a way of God, again, refining us, purging, pruning, getting us to where we need to be. You see, the response Peter calls for, get this down, is based upon volitional choice alone and not upon personal feelings. It's based upon a volitional choice and not personal feelings. James gives us insight into this, this aspect of suffering when he says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Because he continues knowing this is the trying of your faith, what? Work with patience. Patience shall have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, because it's the way of God maturing us, growing us, building us. The Greek word rendered count in this verse means to consider. So consider, reckon, take inventory, evaluate your suffering, The early church faced fierce persecution, but they responded with rejoicing. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says this, and they departed from the presence of the council. After the council had had attacked them and criticized them and and persecuted them, what did they do? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, the early church understood what authentic biblical Christianity looked like. Too many of us in America don't understand what authentic biblical Christianity looks like. Because we don't want to suffer. We don't want to go on a camping trip when it's 95 degrees and not have air conditioning. (laughs) We don't want to sit through a a service without air conditioning. And and I'm thankful for those things. Don't get me wrong. I'm very thankful for them. But you know what? Normal Christianity back in the early first century was persecution. Normal Christianity for us is, I'm going to show up to church whenever I feel like it. I'm going to live for God whenever I feel like it. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's it. But that's not normal, friends. That's abnormal Christianity. And that's what our nation is heading towards. Not normal Christianity, but abnormal Christianity. And it's my desire as a pastor to try to lead myself and lead the congregation back to normalcy, back to what the Bible says. Pastor, are you saying we need to have more persecution? If that's what it takes to purify us, If that's what it takes to get us more like Christ, and I I fear saying these things because I know it's going to come, but it's come in my life for the past three and a half years, and I know it's God just working, purging, pruning, getting me to where I need to be to get the church to where we need to be. There's a lot of things that have happened the past three and a half years that I don't like that some of us don't like, but if we have the right attitude, we will rejoice through the adversity and not be negative and not... Be critical and not leave when the going gets tough, but stick with it. What are we teaching our children if we leave when things get tough? What are we teaching our families that I'm going to leave and I'm going to follow after, after something ungodly instead of following after Christ? You see, we experience a deeper intimacy. It's important not to place our confidence in ourselves, but how many times do we do that? I've used this illustration before, but in Muhammad Ali's heyday, he was. As the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, he had taken a seat on a 747 and was starting taxi down the runway for takeoff. The flight attendant walked by and noticed that Muhammad Ali did not have a seatbelt on. Please fasten your seatbelt, sir, she requested. He looked up proudly and snapped, Superman don't need no (laughs) seatbelt. Without hesitation, she stared back at him and said, Superman don't need no plane, so buckle up. (laughs) That's a good point quick-witted. But the point is true. Many of us kind of feel that same way as Muhammad Ali. I'm Superman. I'm exempt from things. I don't need what you're offering me. I don't need what this church is offering me. I don't don't need what this stupid, archaic Bible is offering me. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. You need exactly what it's offering you because the same principles that were established thousands of years ago, we need today. Here's the truth. We don't need... (laughs) We need to get back to God's Word and God's Word alone, not some other book. (laughs) I'm going to go on. I was going to say something. I'm just going to go on. God's Word and God's Word alone is our basis, is our guide. Now, we can use what men have written, inspired by God, to, to help us with some things, but you know, I've preached this message for three and a half years. So often we're bound to traditions, are we not? Instead of bound to what the Bible says. And when we change anything in the church, I can't believe we're changing that. Well, we don't even know where it started sometimes. Some of it was 200 years ago. You think Jesus Christ wore a suit when he preached? I'm not against suits. I actually like wearing them, but simple things like that. Do you think they had pews when Jesus taught his disciples? No. So why do we get so hung up on things that really don't matter in the scheme of things? Again, I'm thankful for the word of God that we have, and and I remember even when screens came into existence really several years ago, and people were just in uproars about that. I can't believe we had screens in there. They didn't have that in the New Testament. They didn't. They didn't have a lot of things. We should go back to scrolls. (laughs) Let's offer you all scrolls when you come in, okay? Here's your scroll for today. Now, I'm thankful for the technology and the advancement that we have. And some churches, some facilities have taken things to the extreme, but you can use them to enhance the worship, to enhance the praise of Jesus Christ. But here's the truth don't put your confidence in how good you are, how good you can fight through difficulties. Pride keeps many people from seeking God's help in overcoming adversity. Pride encourages us to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. I've been given this life because I'm strong enough to take it. No, you're not. You're not that strong. Matthew chapter 5, read that. It's Jesus' servant on the mount. We're supposed to be poor in spirit. That's a total dependence on him, not on ourselves. So we're supposed to rejoice through the adversity. Why? Because it will bring us closer to God. We'll have a deeper, more intimate relationship. But the second thing is this. Adversity will be transformed into his glory. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. That's what it matters Peace and victory aren't found in the absence of trouble, but in the presence of God. As his spirit rests upon us, we can glorify God in our times of adversity. Most of the time, we want God to do a removing job when he wants to do an improving job. God, just take it away. I don't need this anymore. And he says, no, that's exactly what you need to get your dependence back on me. Again, I can look back on my life countless times and I've asked God to remove it, remove it, remove it. But sometimes he says, Chris, I don't want to remove it. I want to keep it there. Because I know it'll help you rely on me even more. But I was relying on you. You were. But you still weren't where you needed to be. None of us are where we need to be. Whether you're 15 or 95. Warren Wearsby, he says, It is necessary to understand that God is not going to replace suffering with glory. Rather, he will transform suffering into glory. He reminds us of the same illustration that Jesus used that glory in John chapter 16 will be like a woman giving birth. The same baby that gave her great pain also gives her great joy. The pain was transformed into joy by the birth of the baby. The same cross, which is the worst act of man. The worst act of man in human history is transformed as the greatest demonstration of grace and mercy in our history. Our tragedies will be transformed into triumph. Our crosses will be transformed into crowns. Our mournings will be replaced by rejoicing, by dancing. As a Christian, I've said this before, we are to be a reflector of His glory. The closer we are to Jesus the more of his light we can absorb. And the more light we absorb, the more light we show forth to others. The third thing, not only should we accept, expect adversity, rejoice through adversity, but now Peter gives us a caution. We see the caution for the Christian, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. This is important. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer. And what he's saying here is this, avoid self-imposed suffering. Sometimes we put the suffering upon ourselves by our own stupidity, by our own misunderstanding of things. Here's what I mean. You're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you cuss them out and then all of a sudden you get into a big argument, big fight with them. You're not suffering for the cause of Christ. You're suffering for your mouth, (laughs) or from your fingers, or from your hands, or from your horn, or whatever you did. Your suffering is self-imposed. So when, when Peter is, is saying this in this verse, he's saying uh, the first three things, don't, you know, don't suffer as a murderer. Well, I murdered someone, but it was for the cause of Christ. No, that's not right. I stole something, but it's for the cause of Christ. That's why I'm suffering. That's why I'm in jail. Or as an evildoer, those three seem to go hand-to-hand. But notice the fourth thing. It really seems like it doesn't fit. Or as a busybody. <laughs> in other men's matters. Hmm. A busybody. This is a meddler. This is the person that gets involved in everyone else's business, whether you ask them to get involved or not. You know people like that? Anyone want to tell it? No, I'm just, said, let's, not, let's, not, let's not share that today. Please don't look around. Yep, that's that person right over there, right? We all know people that are very busybody-ish. Meddlers, they... They barge in, give their opinion, and barge right out. Think they saved the day, but they've made things worse, usually. You know, there are several things that God hates. He talks about this in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. You know, one of the things that God hates is he that soweth discord among the brethren. A busybody, a meddler. Notice what 1 Timothy 5.13 says. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers. Don't you love when your child tattles on something else or someone else? But tattlers also and busybodies. Now, this is key speaking things which they ought not. Many of us in here, maybe all of us at one time, have probably been a busybody, a meddler in someone else's affairs. We've spoken things which we ought not speak. And if you're here today and you're suffering because of your meddling, you have no right to complain about it. That's what Peter is saying. Avoid self-imposed suffering. You know, these are the people that are texting and making calls and posting things about others that really don't concern them. But they're getting involved because, man, it's my duty to get involved in everyone else's affairs. No, it's not. Worry about your own life. Look in the mirror of your heart and realize there's a lot of things in your life that you need to fix. You see, here's the truth in the reality. I think it's in Matthew, but we're, we're so concerned with the little moat that's in someone else's eye that we forget about the beam sticking out of our own eye. The point is we have our own problems, right? We have our own concerns in our lives, but instead of worrying about us, we don't worry about ourselves. We worry about everyone else. Man, Mike Jones, he has a lot of problems. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you, appreciate that. But let's not talk about pastor. Let's not talk about yourself. We're very easy to judge other people, to be critical of other people. It's very easy for me to be critical of Mike Jones. Amen. <laughs> Only one amen for that one. <laughs> it's very easy for me to be critical of Michael Eaton. Amen. There we go, got two. <laughs> it's very easy for me to be critical of all of you. It's very easy for you to be critical of me, and many of you are sometimes, but we're not critical of ourselves, right? Yeah. Oh, man, no, 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 I'm fine. They're not. That's that busybody. That's that meddler. Peter is saying avoid that self-imposed suffering. You see, these are the people who like to talk and gossip about other people's troubles. You know, they, they, it's their right to make sure everyone knows what's going on because it makes them look good. Again, we all know people like that. But Peter puts meddling in the same class as murder because, get this down, it's a form of character assassination. Well, it's not the same as murder. Yeah, it's, it's a character assassination. You're attacking someone else's character. I've been guilty of it, and many of you in this room have been guilty of it as well. So why don't you think the next time before you go off on someone or, you know, you have to give the truth to everyone else so you can attack someone else so you can make yourself look good. I want to make myself look good so everyone else sees how great Pastor Chris Thorne is. I'm not that great. We don't need an amen for that. (laughs) We all know it. (laughs) But it's a form of character assassination. So avoid self-imposed suffering, but the second thing he says here, this this, uh, warning that he's given, this caution for the Christian is this. Verse 16, Honor Christ through your suffering. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Thank you, the one person that is reading the verse. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Our sufferings pale in comparison to what Christ has gone through. They pale in comparison to what the early Christians went through. I mean, they were being beaten. Anybody been beaten for your faith? Maybe some today. Most of us probably not. You've been thrown in jail for your faith? You've been uh, on the verge of being decapitated? Being killed? Being uh, hung upside down on a cross? Probably not. Being thrown into a fire and burned alive? No, probably not. Now, we we do suffer. I'm not saying anything to be lightly or anything like that, but those early Christians wanted to get back at their accusers just like we do today. Those that were causing their adversity... Look, it's so easy for us to excuse our own sin, is it not? And our behavior when they go contrary to God's word. But God, they're attacking my character. It's my job to go back at them and attack their character. You're no different than they are. You're no better than they are. In fact, you're worse when you do that. And trust me, it's been very hard for me over the years, the past three and a half years, to not go back and attack someone else that attacked me. And I haven't always been that person. There's been some times where I've attacked them, but I've been no better than they were. But many times I had to turn it over to God and said, God, there's a reason for this. You'll deal with them sometime, someday, in some form. And that's a hard thing for me to grasp. It really is. Because in my mind, I have the punishment. <laughs> but I'm not God. God knows what he'll do. But Peter tells us to not be ashamed to suffer as a Christian. Peter knows this vividly because Peter was once ashamed, remember? When Jesus was about to be persecuted and hung on the cross and and he had said in that upper room that, you know what? You're probably going to deny, or you are going to deny me. And before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. No, 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 Lord, I'm not going to deny you. I would never do that. And surely, sure enough, Peter did that. Curse cursed the name of Jesus because at that moment in his life, he was ashamed. And there's probably been many moments in our life where we had an opportunity to stand up for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Christ, and we chose to cower down. No, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm not one of those. I'm not one of those religious fanatics. No, no, no. Those people, they, you know, say whatever we want to say about them. I think of what Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God Through salvation. Most people aren't ashamed of God in church. It's when you get outside of church that you're ashamed. The same God that dwells in here is the same God that dwells out there. I think of teams that go to camp. It's easy to make a decision at camp when all the the negativity, in a sense, is, is left behind. If they have a bad home life, that home life is left behind. If they have bad friends, they're behind. They don't have all the, the distractions of the world. It's easy to make a decision. When all those distractions are gone away from us, it's harder to continue to stand when the distractions are around us. But Peter says, don't be ashamed. When you suffer, when you go through adversity, when you go through trials, God is going to be honored. He is going to be glorified. 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. This is Paul for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In the vast Roman Empire in the first century, there was a cult worship. They worshiped Caesar. The word Caesar in the Greek is Kaiser. Those who worshiped Caesar were called Kaiserinos. And as the gospel began to spread, the followers of Jesus were also given a nickname by the Romans and the Greeks. It was the word Christianos, or Christ's followers. It was a very derisive term. It was used as an insult. Roman law required each citizen to pledge his loyalty to the emperor. Once a year, the citizens would put a pinch of incense on the proper altar and say, Caesar is Lord. But many of the Christians would stand and say, No, 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 Jesus is Lord. You see, we have the same opportunity day in and day out. To either say, Caesar is Lord, the world is Lord, my job is Lord, or Jesus is Lord. So really it comes down to Caesar or Christ, culture or Christ. Peter's answer is very clear. Let him not be ashamed. The word ashamed means to dishonor. Don't do anything to dishonor the name of Lord. Instead, praise God that you're counted worthy to suffer for his name. If Jesus lays his cross on your back, don't be ashamed if you have to carry it. Many of us are. Andrew Murray, the famous Scottish missionary to South Africa once said, faith sees suffering in light of God and eternity, the short pain, everlasting gain. It's like that old adage, no pain, no gain, and it's true. The pain that we go through and the persecutions and the suffering, it really is short in comparison to things. And many of us, myself included, have a hard time with it because it's like, I need it to be gone. But God says, I'm giving it to you for a reason. You see, God wants us to thrive, to flourish, to abound, to rejoice through our adversity. Many years ago in Dublin, Ireland, a group of Christian women were met regularly to study the Bible. They were puzzled by the meaning of Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, which states, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, they decided to visit a silversmith and learn what they could about the refining process. And after he explained the process, one lady said, But sir, do you sit and watch while the refining is going on? He replied, Oh, yes, indeed. I must sit with my eyes fixed on the surface of the silver, for it is the time necessary for refining is exceeding in the slightest degree. The silver is sure to be damaged if, if I don't watch carefully. Then he added, I Only know when the process is complete. This is important. By seeing my own image in the silver. You see, this is what the Lord wants to see in you and me as He refines us through the fiery trials of life. Proverbs 25, 4 Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. We know the trial, the difficulty, the adversity is complete when we start to see Jesus shining through our lives. But if you don't see Jesus in your life, it's because you have it. <laughs> Let him purify you. Take that dross away. Remember I said it earlier, trials aren't there just to refine you. They're also there to test the authenticity of your faith. We talked about stress last week. If you want to thrive through stress, then it's time to get back to the feet of Jesus. But if you want to thrive through adversity, then you have to understand that you're not alone in your adversity that Jesus is there he's always been there always will be there and it's our job to reflect his glory and his glory alone expect adversity rejoice through adversity and learn the cautions to not bring it upon yourself but also learn to honor Christ through your suffering.